you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Roy, hi, you're on the air with Ken Patterson. Hey guys, I love the show. and You know what, I really need to send you some pictures of the projects you guys have helped me complete because We'd love really, to have without them. your help, it, it would never have happened. Great, thank you so much. We'd love to have them too. Who knows, okay. they may wind up on on my website. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here weekends at this time answering questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. If you'd like to reach Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And don't forget, you can email questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Now, building or remodeling can be stressful to a lot of people, but it can also be very exhilarating. It could be something you look forward to and you have a great time with. And frankly, if you're spending money, you should enjoy it. You should have a good time with the overall process. But there are things that create problems, and we're going to talk about that. It's the hidden items, or specifically excluded items, not so much hidden. Now, a construction or remodeling contract, in my experience, is not a good deal for anybody, unless both the owner and the contractor fully understand all of the terms, the conditions, and the exclusions, and the cost associated with each. Now, it was a key word that I just mentioned, exclusions. We frequently spend time looking at everything else, but we see this, this, and this excluded, and we don't ask questions about it. And, folks, I'm here to tell you that miscommunication is the foundation of not only hard feelings, but ill will, lawsuits, and certainly uncompleted jobs. Don't find yourself in that situation. When you read your contract, or when you're reading proposals for that matter, don't just see if the written document includes what you ask for, don't misunderstand me because that is really important. You need to know that what you're buying or what you're about to buy is identified properly. But you also want to see and identify what it excludes, things that you may need to complete that project that are specifically deleted or omitted from that bid or that contract. And often permits and fees, and they are two distinct items, permits and fees are excluded from many contractor quotes and contracts. Now, some of these can amount to, in some locations, just a few dollars. But in other localities, and depending on what your project involves, folks, it can be tens of thousands of dollars, not just a $1,000 here and there. And I'm going to give you some examples in some regions of the country as I go through this. But I want to give you a short list, and you can go to my website to see all of it. Go to KenTheContractor.com. But I'm going to touch on some of these fees and permits that are required across this country in almost every locality, every county, every township. There will be a few exceptions. But if you're proposing to, in your, your budget, your schedule this year, if you're planning to expand, you're looking for new construction, these are questions you want to read, see if they're in there, or questions certainly you want to ask your contractor about as you go through the bid process. First, among those would be a zoning approval fee. Many localities require that a site plan or a site sketch be permitted, identify, uh, and that means they're actually going to review it and issue a permit or an authorization or an approval. So you submit that plan, and with that plan, almost all that I've worked in will require a check that says it's a plan review fee for zoning approval. They may have to issue a zoning approval a letter. 
but they're going to confirm that what you're about to do, one, conforms to setbacks if it's an addition or new home construction, and or that the use group hasn't changed and that you meet the zoning criteria for the use of that property. That's common most places. The other one that's common almost everywhere will be building permits. Now, under building permits, there are a lot of different subcategories, but building permits are fees that are charged by your municipality. And by the way, these items I'm talking about are not fees that are controlled or regulated by your builder or your contractor. These are by your local government, and these are charged by the local or state governing authority. And among those are you'll require permits for building of almost any kind anywhere, building or renovation. And that includes not just the structural components, but the electrical, the plumbing, the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, many locations, the site work, that means clearing trees, uh, digging ditches, uh, putting in pipe for driveway access. All of those require permits in so many locations around the country. And when you get a permit, you're going to write a check. And these start to add up. Now, Many municipalities require permits for maintenance and repairs. And I have worked in cities and places where if the value is as little as $100, it's hard for me to believe, but it is. As little as $100, you're going to get a permit. So that may mean you have a $100 project. You're replacing the front door lock set and deadbolt, and you're spending $125 to have it done. You're going to go down and buy a $5 or $10 permit for that. Plus, you have to invest your time to go do it. So you need to check and see whether you happen to live in a location that requires maintenance-type permits. Often there are plan review fees by your locality. Now, remember I said earlier, zoning approval fees, plan review fees also when you submit the architectural plans. That can be several hundreds of dollars in some locations. I've paid a few thousand on certain projects. And then there are special inspections and reinspection fees. If you have a pool, fireplaces, retaining walls, certain items that are outside the normal scope of building, permits, you may find your locality has a special permit, a special inspection, a special group of fees. Certificate of occupancy fees, when the project is finished, your general contractor or you are wrapped up with your work, you've got to call for that final inspection. There's a document that's issued. It may be a certificate of compliance or a certificate of occupancy or an approval or a final inspection or a completion report. You're going to write another check and pay your locality in many cases for that. Certain parts of the country, if you're removing trees, you're going to have a tree inspection. You're going to buy a tree permit, tree removal permit. You're going to pay to come out and have an inspection to have that done. Some others that occur, especially in bigger cities, fire departments, parks, recreation department fees are all additional fees that deal with your home construction or renovation. Erosion and stormwater management fees, if you're doing grading, putting in parking lot or clearing an area for a garage or that addition. Floodplain certification fees, if you happen to live in or near a floodplain, you may have to pay to have the governing authority confirm where you live, that you're above the floodplain, that you're in a floodplain, but you have the right type structure, whatever the case may be. Now, in addition to these, there are some huge items you have to be aware of out there, and they are public utility, use, availability, and connection fees. Some of these for public sewer and water connection and availability fees can amount to thousands. I have worked in one jurisdiction where for a single-family home, just connecting to public sewer and water along will cost you in excess of $15,000. There are places that it's well over $20,000. All you get is a cancel check and a receipt when that's all said and done. But the reason I want you to be aware of these is in many cases your builder excludes these, and it's not all bad. They're not playing games with you. If a builder includes another $25,000 in fees, 
not only are they having to pay an insurance premium on top of that, but they're entitled to an overhead and a profit margin. You're just paying more money for government fees. So in many cases, you need to read. Be sure that this is excluded. If it's included, you want to know. You want to ask the questions. If it's excluded, you want to end up with knowing the value. So before you start your project, you know how much money that project's going to cost you by the time it is totally wrapped up. Don't be fooled, folks. We're not talking just a few hundred dollars for most of you across the country. We're talking what can amount to several thousand dollars, even into the tens of thousands. So be wise and know what your total cost will be. Coming up on this edition of Ken the Contractor, Ken is going to talk with the folks who make smart vents. And also on In the News, Ken will tell us that home buyers are now motivated to buy, but slow to sign that contract. That's coming up on this edition of Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. We'd like to welcome those of you who may be listening to our program for the first time on News Talk WTRC 95.3 FM, Michiana's News Channel, South Bend, Indiana, and News Talk WTRC 1340 AM in Elkhart, Indiana. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Doug from Three Oaks, Michigan has left a uh, question for Ken this week. He's got some problem with water pressure. Doug, go ahead. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hi, Ken. My question is regarding the safety valve on my water heater. Uh, the safety valve is intermittently lifting. Uh, the, the city um, Public Works came through and replaced the water lines in the in the in the town last summer. And uh, when they cut in the new water, uh, my safety valve lifted. I didn't find it for uh, some time, and I had 10 to 15 gallons of water uh, in the basement. So, uh, bottom line is, we replaced the safety valve. But now, uh, the, when the water heater is a high demand on the hot water heater, like washing clothes. Uh, the safety valve will lift as evidenced by I put a coffee can underneath the telltale off the safety valve. And so I have to keep it emptying that little, that little coffee can. But anyway, uh, the water pressure did rise when uh, the city cut the water back in. So, uh, I live in Three Oaks, Michigan. It's not a hilly area. It's not a mountainous area. Um, so there's no reason, you know, to have excessive water pressure for to get up on top of a mountain or anything. Just wondering what your thoughts were about a, about, uh, a different type of safety valve, different type of water heater, or a pressure regulator. Thank you, Ken. Well, to fir- in the first place, I don't think you need a different water heater. What you've explained is something that's not uncommon for many of our listeners that have just had municipalities upgrade water systems, pumping stations, and so forth, this can be a common problem. And I have known people that have gone out and bought a new water heater only to experience the same issue when it's really the water supply issue, not your internal fixture issue, if you will. So two things that I want you to consider, Doug. Uh, The first one will be to look at the pressure consider a pressure-reducing valve coming into your home on the entire line, the main line. If the water pressure is typically above 60 pounds of pressure in our homes, that's bad for our overall plumbing, meaning that it can cause 
the tank on your commode to run excessively. It can actually, with the excess pressure, blow water through it. So it will run. You're wasting water. Your water bill is going to be higher each month when you have very high water pressure. It will also have a negative impact long-term on your valve stops and so forth in your plumbing trim. Most manufacturers, if you read the sheets that come with the equipment or with the hardware, will tell you that they're set or they're designed for about 60 pounds of maximum pressure. I have worked in areas, and I've experienced this in my own properties, where municipality water pressures exceeded 100 pounds. Now, when the water pressure gets above 60 pounds, you can help control that, meaning you have a plumber come out and put a pressure-reducing valve on your main water line, and that allows you to control or set that water pressure. So if you end up with 100 pounds coming in, you want to set this for 55 pounds max, your plumber sets that, and typically you have no further problems internally within your in-house plumbing. It does give you a little freedom and flexibility. Now, the other thing that you may want to consider, if this is the only area you're having a problem, and it may have to do with temperature in the water heater, it may have to do with the water pressure or a combination of those, is to have an expansion tank installed on the water heater. So rather than this valve popping off, that water goes into an expansion tank. It helps deal with sudden pressure, uh, line surges coming through when, a say, a pumping station comes online, and maybe you typically have 55 pounds of pressure, but for momentarily, when that comes online, your pressure is being bumped up to 70, 80, 100, 120 pounds of pressure. It will help cope with that. And an expansion tank on hot water heaters are somewhat common in most building codes around the country now for new construction or retrofit. So either of these two items, I think, will help resolve your problem, but I really don't believe from what you're describing that you need to go out and buy a new hot water heater. So give those a shot. Give us a call back. Let us know how things turn out. Good luck to you. We appreciate the call, Doug. You can always leave your questions at 800-614-2975. Or don't forget, you can forward your questions to our website, which is KenTheContractor.com. And, Ken, we've got one of those questions from the website from Anna, and it deals with her air conditioning system. Yeah, Anna writes to us from uh, South Carolina. She says, my question is about return air vents. Said we're building a new home just out of town. This is our dream home, and we want to do it right. I've read on your website where you talk about the benefit of having a return air grill in the ceiling and near the floor. Our rental apartments have always had only one in the wall or in a closet. All of our duct work in our new home will be run in the basement. Do we need to try to get some put in the ceiling also? This might be difficult given our floor plan. Well, Anna, I'm glad you checked out the website. There's a lot of information we put there, and you paid particular attention to one of these regarding return air. Now, for those of you that don't know, a return air system is as important to the proper function of an air conditioning, a central ducted air conditioning and or heated heating system, as a supply grill. So supply grills provide the temperature that you're looking for, the air, the hot or the cold air, to help warm or cool that room. The return air is the means of that air getting back into the system and being recycled and reheated or recooled and to have the humidity controlled, especially during the cooling cycle. If you don't have adequate return air, then you're not going to have either the proper mix or balance in the home, and at some point the system just won't function at all. And that's one reason we talk about these from time to time. It's something most people just either don't know about or don't think about and have no idea how it impacts your overall system. So, Anna, my suggestion to you is I always recommend having both high and low return air grills in the home. One reason, and most professionals in the HVAC field, air conditioning and heating field, will do the same, and engineers. Cold air falls to the floor, hot air rises. And in the wintertime, when you've got the heat on, 
that hot air will go to your ceilings. If you've got an eight-foot ceiling, you may find there's about a two degrees temperature difference between sitting level, somewhere around 20 inches above the floor, and that ceiling at eight feet. If your ceiling happens to be higher, you've got a 10, 12-foot ceiling, some of the high-vaulted ceilings, you may find three degrees difference at the highest point as that hot air continues to build up. So what you're doing without proper return air is you're allowing the hot air to go to the ceiling in the winter months. You keep firing up the heater. You, you want it to produce more, and yet you're still not warm in some cases. So by having an AC return air grill that's high, mounted high on the wall or in that ceiling, you're pulling that hot air off in the wintertime. You're recycling it through the system. It's coming back up through the ductwork in the floor, and it's warming you at the level you're sitting at. In the wintertime or the summertime, rather, it does just the opposite because the cold air falls to the floor. You want to circulate that. You want to pull it up a little bit higher and get it where you're sitting, where you're walking. So it tends to balance the air. That's not necessary to put one in every room, but in my experience, you really want a high and low return air grill in as many places as possible. If you do that, you're going to be much more comfortable year-round, and you're going to save some dollars on your operating cost. You have a question about your home inside or out, you can forward your questions just like Anna did to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. And you can friend us on Facebook at KenTheContractor and also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. And don't forget, Ken's always available at 800-614-2975. And one of our uh, folks mentioned just a few moments ago that they had gone to the website. You'll find a lot of valuable information about home improvement and repair right at our website online at KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. I'm Jabrit along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Ken the Contractor is here every weekend at this time, taking the calls from you about questions about your home inside or out, and also answering the questions that are important to today's homeowner. Right now, time for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels. All to make your life better, provide options, and to save money. Coming to us next is Tom Little. Now, Tom is the vice president of SmartVent. And there may be a number of you that are familiar with the name or maybe even have one of these devices in and around your home. Tom, welcome to today's show. Thanks for having me, Ken. Now, SmartVent has been around for a number of years, but I want you to tell the folks what it is, and then we're going to talk about what makes it so unique and interesting today that I think a lot of them will want to go to your website and learn a little more about. Excellent, excellent. So 2005, we all know that Hurricane Katrina came into uh, Louisiana and the Gulf states, really destroyed a lot of properties and put a lot of families out of homes. Well, since 2005, what FEMA has really cracked down are noncompliance issues with structures built in a floodplain. Okay, and FEMA mandates and runs the NFIP flood insurance program. So all the listeners out there that are in a floodplain are going to be required by their lenders to have either federally backed flood insurance or from a private group. Typically, it's going to be coming from the NFIP. Since those floods, with them cracking down, what they're doing is they are assessing properties and the risks associated with noncompliant vents. If a house is determined to have noncompliant flood vents, then they are going to redo their premium and actually raise them, in some cases, by a few thousand dollars. National average is right around $500. So it's a substantial increase, but there's a lot of risks associated with not having the proper flood vent in your foundation. So if you have a house constructed on a crawl space, you need to be paying special attention to this if you live in a floodplain. 
If you're not sure whether you live in a floodplain or not, you need to consult with your local building or zoning department, and they're going to be able to tell you that. They have the FEMA maps available. That's public information. Many of you may be surprised because to live in a floodplain, it doesn't mean that you have to be in a coastal environment. It doesn't mean that you have to have property fronting on a river. You may be on a lake. You may be simply on a drainage basin area coming off a mountainside where there's a potential once every 10 or 20 years for a little stream to become a flood issue for you, and you don't realize it. Maybe you haven't lived in that property long enough. So this is what's being discussed here. I want to go one step further and say this is important for several reasons. One, you say that FEMA is, and I know they are as a builder in our region, they are reassessing properties, they're looking at their flood maps, they are determining if there are homes subject to flooding that should be paying a greater piece of the insurance premium than they are right now. Now, talk a little bit about the flood vent properties itself and how that can help lower these insurance costs, if in fact it can. Uh, The objective of a flood vent is to relieve the pressure off the foundation wall during a flood event. Studies have been put out that, you know, one foot of head pressure up against a foundation wall is enough force to cause structural damage. So the goal of a flood vent is to keep the house from sustaining any damage to the foundation, which could cause the home to collapse. Okay, so we are solidifying the structural integrity of the home by having a vent in there that is going to properly relieve the pressure during that flood event. With our particular product, SmartVent, it's designed and then tested through the International Co-Council Evaluation Service as a flood opening. We have our certification on file that is nationally recognized, so any community official you're working with, any inspector, any floodplain administrator, and the NFIP through your uh, flood insurance agent is going to recognize and accept our certification and know that this is a proven design product that is going to protect this foundation, and it eliminates that risk on that property now. After a flood, that home is still going to be standing. That risk reduction reduces your premium for your flood insurance policy. So what many of you may be thinking about saying, I thought I should have vents closed to keep water out of my crawl space. This does just the opposite. What you need to realize as we're discussing is that water pressure creates an unbalanced or an unsupported retaining wall of sorts. These walls are, in most cases, accustomed to carrying a vertical load, the weight of your house. If they're designed with some degree of reinforcing, it may carry an unbalanced load with a little bit of fill on the outside. But when you apply the water pressure to that, it's going beyond the design of that foundation system, and that's what causes the collapse. That's why the vent itself actually opens. It senses the water. It allows water to penetrate and to have an equal pressure on both sides. Your foundation, your crawl space can be dried out, but at least you still have your house intact. And in the meantime, you're going to be saving, as you said, on average nationwide about $500 per household in flood insurance? That's the national average premium for flood insurance is $500. In a lot of cases with all of the homes being reassessed during these FEMA uh, CAVs, which are community-assisted visitations, they are raising premiums in upwards of $2,500, $3,000. The return on investment by retrofitting smart fence into a home is typically seen in about two years. And when you look at the span of a 30-year you know, mortgage, that's big savings each year after you cover that initial cost. Now, are, are these vents varying in size? Are they custom designed per home, or are there standard sizes that our listeners need to think about? Our standard size is a 16 by 8, so it's going to fit into a standard CMU block opening. In a lot of cases, the non-compliance factor comes into play is when air vents are being trying to be utilized as flood vents. Air vents are intended to be used for air ventilation through a crawl space. They're not hydro, hydrostatic relief vents. What happens is if we need to retrofit a particular home, we can come in 
and actually remove one of those uh, non-compliant air vents, and that is our rough opening for our most popular size of 16 by 8. One vent covers 200 square foot. So to give you an example, a 1,000 square foot crawl space would need five of our vents. You need to always have flood vents on two different walls. You need to have the water uh, have an entry point and an exit point. And you need to have the bottom of all the vents within 12 inches of the adjacent grade. Again, that goes back to the studies that the American Society of Civil Engineers have done in the past where one foot of head pressure can cause structural damage. So two different walls within 12 inches of the grade. If you're paying right now over $800 a year in flood insurance, there's a real good chance that you're paying more than what you should, and that's due to non-compliant flood venting. So we work with homeowners every day. We review their elevation certificate, and we can determine this is all you know a free service that we provide. We can determine in a matter of five minutes if retrofitting one or two vents will reduce your premium. How do folks find out more about the flood vent system that you're talking about? They can uh, go to our website, smartvent.com. We have specific pages dedicated to uh, homeowners, to contractors, um, any different uh, professional out there working in uh, the construction field. Our phone number is 877-441-8368. And the beautiful uh, part about our company, we're based out of uh, South Jersey. Okay, We manufacture all of our products in the United States in Anderson, South Carolina. And if you call our toll-free number, you're going to get an actual person on the phone within two ranks. And you'll get a certified floodplain manager on the phone. We're true experts in floodplain construction. We study, we live, we breathe this stuff, and we'll be able to walk you through step-by-step to see if we can help you out. Here's an opportunity for you to save several hundred dollars and perhaps several thousand dollars per year. Tom, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate the update. We appreciate the information on the flood vent. Encourage all of you that are in flood-prone areas to pay attention to what's been said today. Go to the Smart Vent website and find out how to save those dollars. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Tom provides very timely information. Many of you are living in areas where FEMA is still going through doing these studies. Uh, they've started them in some. They've not been in others. But you're going to find that will be an ongoing process for some period of time. And if you look at your renewal on flood insurance and you see a, a substantial increase, you might want to back up and ask some questions. Perhaps go to smartvent.com and see if they can help you reduce the cost of that flood insurance by having the proper type of vents in your crawl space foundation. Whatever you do, be smart about all about the money you spend in and around your home, take a few moments, make a phone call, check out a website. This is one more way to save some money. We'll take a quick break and then come right back. Don't forget, our contact number is 800-614-2975 or email your questions to kenthecontractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com. A house is what you build. A home is what you make it. Let's go to the phone lines right now. And it's Dan who needs some advice on a project he's going to deal with. Dan, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hi, Ken. Hi, Dan. Hi. Uh, I'm glad winter's here because I've got some indoor projects. Okay. All right. Mainly, uh, I want to strip all wallpaper. Okay. And get it done and then do some painting. But I want to get it all. What is the easiest way of stripping that paper without, well, you know, the work, if you don't do it right, the work involved. Well, I tell you, you ask a question that a number of people do. And I have information posted on the website, and I'm happy to answer this uh, multiple times because I want people to listen to the fact that it, it is not an easy task. And I noticed you said, what's the easiest way? And if you're you're like me, we're looking for the quickest and the easiest way to do anything, aren't we? Correct. With For the least amount of money. 
and wall covering can be, it's just going to be time consuming, no matter mm-hmm. how you approach it, but you can create more work for yourself than you're really interested in. And I, I assume that's the gist of your question. Correct. How, how do I get it off without creating a real mess here? Do you happen to know whether the walls were previously painted or sized before I, I, the wall covering was installed? I'm assuming that they were previously painted, but I don't know. Okay. If the walls were painted, and certainly if they were sized with a, a material designed to go up prior to the wall covering, mm-hmm. most wall coverings should remove should should be removable on a fairly easy basis. And you may try a corner. This is what I would typically do, and we've removed much of it over the years in offices and homes. Is you find a corner, you're going to be working with uh, some water, with a, with a, a sponge, obviously, and you want to, so if it's a paper proper, you want to go over that paper and get it moist. You don't want to spray it with a water hose now. You don't okay. want to create damage, but you want it moist because that will tend to soften. And then you can work from the back side. If you can peel this loose with just a wet sponge and a small amount of water behind that, it will loosen that glue if the walls were sized. Now, not just for you, but for others that are listening, saying, well, I don't know if they were sized, and you start into that, you will find in many cases that paper has bonded, the wallpaper has bonded to the drywall paper. Mm-hmm. That is a real challenge, and you want to pursue that differently. If that's the case, then the best way we have found to remove that is to purchase a device, and most of your wallpaper stores or paint stores will sell this, that is a roller, that uh, basically has a lot, it's like a porcupine, it's got a lot of little uh, pins in it. Hmm. And you will roll over the wallpaper, it just slightly perforates that, and then there is a solution that you apply over that that penetrates it, that softens the glue on the back side and causes it to separate from the wall board itself. That is more involved. So again, you have two potentials here. One is that you had a good sizing job or there's a good coat of paint behind it in the wall covering, is just bonded to that. The glue is all that's holding it in place, and you may more easily remove that by using the first method that I talked about. And if the walls were not sized, then you really need to get a solution designed to a release agent. And, again, the paint and wallpaper stores will sell these materials, as well as one of these rollers. Perforate the wallpaper. Be sure you don't damage the drywall. Don't put too much pressure on it. And then apply uh, the uh, solution. Let it soak and then start removing it. Either way, you've still got a little bit of a challenge. And I want to tell you, it's not just a homeowner. It's not just me removing this. But for professionals, for painters and wallpaper hangers that are professionals that do it every day, it involves the same amount of time. So there's not really a a real easy way to deal with this. Are you going to paint the walls once you remove Uh, it? Yeah. Yes, I will. Okay. All right. So I think it's easier to to repaint when you need to than stripping wallpaper off. Yeah, it is. And, and you're right by saying I've got a good winter job because this may take you a little while if your entire house is covered with this. I was going to suggest if you, for you or others that want to hang new wall covering and change the look of a room, you can hang over what's there provided it is bonded properly. But if yeah. it's releasing and curling up, then it's not going to be so good for you. But uh, that is an option for others that may want to just put new wall covering up in a room and not have to strip it. You, in, in most cases, you can hang over a... a a solidly based wall covering, and it'll be fine. All right, thank you. Thank you for your call. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. it. Thank you, sir.
Thank you, Dan. Do appreciate it. Don't forget the contact number for Ken. Ken, the contractor, is 800-614-2975. We'll answer another email from our website in a moment. But first, let's bring you this week's edition of In the News, as Ken brings products, trends, tips, and services that are important to you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. If you've ever been approached in a shopping mall, a phone call, or had something come in the mail or by email about a survey and you've participated in it regarding home building, new home construction and what your likes and dislikes happen to be, then you're part of this next article. And it's titled, Why Build New? And this comes to us from National Association of Home Builders and Hanley Wood Market Research. And what they've done is spend some time recently, like they do every year, trying to determine exactly what we like, what's going to be the trend, and what we are expecting to spend money on in this upcoming year. Now, as a result of that, they are launching a new campaign that you're going to see here in the first quarter talking to all of us potential home buyers about the advantages of buying and building a new home over existing homes in the marketplace. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with existing homes. They're just going to focus on some of the advantages of purchasing new. But the survey revealed a couple of items that is unique to today's market. And there are several triggers that now rank in in terms of what motivates us or what causes us to go buy right now new. There are several triggers that rank much higher than the typical life events that we normally deal with when it comes to buying a home. Home prices, interest rates, and just being tired of the current house, those typically place a little lower on the scale. But in this particular survey, we're finding that they are the highest. One, interest rates, as I said. Tired of your existing house and home prices. So we're throwing those into a bucket where in the past, typically we go buy a home based on survey, based on the fact that our job has changed, our family has increased in size. Some of the things that would rank number one and number two have now moved down the list. What that says is America is paying attention to these extremely low long-term interest rates. Also, the survey reveals that 84% of shoppers, potential home buyers, intend to use a realtor, and that trend is up. We're finding some bargains as far as people that will help us, professionals that come to the table, and will help us buy what we want. So if you're part of that trend, then you are right there with at least 84% of the country looking to use a realtor, and you may have some unique and different reasons for buying this year from what your parents did or what other folks did even seven, eight, nine years ago. Let's try to sneak in a quick email. Stuart has an intriguing question, Ken. His roof is leaking, but not when it rains, only when it snows. Yeah, and to paraphrase his email, he comes to us out of Pennsylvania. He says that he has uh, leaks during or after a snowstorm. He says he's never had a leak when it rains. He's got an L-shaped house. He said, I've checked to see if the shingles are missing and if I have a plumbing pipe through the roof in the area where the leak is because I've heard you speak about that on the show. He says everything looks fine from the ground. Well, what you probably have, Stuart, is uh, a leak as a result of snow melt. You may have an ice dam that's building up. You're telling me you have an L-shaped house. That tells me you're going to have a valley where the house makes this turn. Snow tends to pocket there. It may freeze at night. It may thaw in the daytime when the sun hits it. It's going to melt. When it refreezes at night, it's going to expand and can work its way back up under those shingles. The way to resolve that is with a simple product called Ice and Water Shield. There are others out there. They need to go back under the shingles in the spring. You may want to take some of those shingles off, put this over your valley, and re-shingle. No more problem. Very good. Good luck with that, Stuart. Now, that'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or online at kenthecontractor.com. 
Do you have questions about your home, inside or out? KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember, KenTheContractor.com, where folks come for professional answers. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.